Well, this morning we are finally back in the book of First Samuel. Isn't that exciting? Oh, good, good. Two people excited. Good. Um, and this morning I've titled the message, uh, The Wrong Choice. And you'll see why as we go along this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to take your Bibles and turn with me to First Samuel chapter 10. First Samuel chapter 10. You're going to say, wait a minute, Pastor. What happened to chapter 9? I know you're all thinking that, right? Well, we'll cover that too, so give me a few minutes here. There's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow along this morning and maybe take some notes. And uh, if, if I say something that strikes you. So first of all, let's review. We've been away from Samuel for two weeks now, so uh, re- let's review a little bit of what, what's happened so far in Samuel. Uh, whoops, wrong slide, sorry. And uh, Israel told Samuel that they wanted a king like all the other nations. And Samuel warned them. He told them what God said. He said, okay, but you aren't going to like it. It's not going to be what you think. And the king is going to, you're going to be subject to him. And he's going to be the man and he's going to be in charge. And it's not going to go quite the way you think he is. But they said, we don't care. We want one anyhow. So God told Samuel what? He said, Samuel, let him have it. Right? Basically said, grant their, grant their request, we, I will give them a king. So there's a lot of little things that go on in chapter 9. So I'm going to give you chapter 9 in, in a nutshell, okay? So this is chapter 9 in a nutshell because I want to get to chapter 10. And chapter 9 is, is kind of links to chapter 10. Here, so here's what happens in chapter 9. There's this guy in Israel. His name is Kish, K-I-S-H. And he was a rich and influential man. And he's from the tribe of Benjamin. And Kish had a son, and his son's name was Saul. Saul was the most handsome and the tallest man in Israel, the Bible describes him as. Most handsome, most tall. Perfect uh, requirements for a king, right? Anyhow, Kish's donkeys had run away, and Saul and one of the servants went to look for them, but they couldn't find them. So they got to this town, and they knew that Samuel was there. And Saul said, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's that guy, that guy Samuel. He might be able to help us because he's smart and he knows stuff, and he knows God. So they go and they find Samuel. And this is, uh, I'll, I'll read chapter, uh, chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. It says this. It says, now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him to be the leader of my people Israel. He will rescue them from the Philistines. For I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. So when Samuel meets Saul, God says, hey, hey, Samuel, that's the guy. Okay? So Samuel invites Saul to go with him to a banquet. And he places Saul at the head of the table at this banquet. And he makes sure that Saul gets the best cut of meat. And the next day, Samuel sends Saul's servant home. And he told Saul this in verse 27 of chapter 9. He said this. He said, stay here, for I have received a special message for you from God. Okay? So that's where we're at. Now, let's move on to chapter 10. And uh, my first point this morning, this idea of setting Saul apart. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. It says this. It says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul on the cheek and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the leader of his people, Israel. Samuel anointed Saul with oil. Why? 
He did that because it symbolized this idea of setting someone apart for service, for divine service, for service of the Lord. This wasn't just any old normal oil. He didn't go to Family Fresh and grab some, some olive oil off the shelf. No, this was a special oil that the priests would have prepared and a special oil that God had given them instruction to. And this oil was only supposed to be used on very, very special occasions. And in this case, anointing Saul to be king of Israel. When Samuel poured oil on Saul's head, it represented God's approval of Saul as a leader of his people. And then Samuel kissed Saul on the cheek, which was a sign of respect. Let's look at the next few verses. And this is what Saul says to Samuel. He says, or Samuel says to Saul, sorry. When you leave me today, you will see two men beside Rachel's tomb in Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found. Remember, he was looking for his father's donkeys. And that your father is worried about you and is asking, have you seen my son? When you get to the oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming toward you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. One will be bringing three young goats. Another will have three loaves of bread, and the third will be carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two of the loaves which you are to accept. When you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the altar on the hill. They will be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, and they will be prophesying. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you with power, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. Now, this is really interesting. To confirm that this was all God's choosing, that Samuel just hadn't gone off the deep end, he says to Saul, all these things are going to happen. There's going to be three signs. You're going to meet two guys near Rachel's tomb. They're going to tell you the donkeys have been found and and your dad's asking for you. You're going to meet three more guys at the Oak of Tabor. They're going to have three goats, two loaves, and a a skin of wine, and they're going to give you a couple loaves. And third, you're going to meet a band of prophets coming from the altar. And then he tells them the instruments they're going to be playing. And he says, the spirit of the Lord will give you power and you will join in and prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. An interesting statement. Changed into a different person. What does this mean? Well, the best way I can describe it or understand it is I believe that God changes Saul in a manner that gives him the the ability and the necessary tools to be king over the nation of Israel. You see, God doesn't tell us to do something without equipping us to accomplish the mission he calls us to. God wouldn't say, okay, Saul, now you're going to be king and you're on your own. You're out of luck, dude, okay? You just, I know you're not equipped for this, but I chose you, so haha, you're just going to have to deal with it. No, it says, it says that God changed Saul. He changed him so that he would have what he needs to be king. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says this. It says, After these signs take place, do whatever you think is best, for God will be with you. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me and wait for me there for seven days. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. When I arrive, I will give you further instruction. This is cool because Samuel gives Saul some reassurance, you know. He says that after all this happens, trust your judgment. God will be with you. Now, why can Saul trust his judgment? I believe it's because it says that God is going to change him. That God is going to bring Saul more into alignment with what God has for Israel. God's going to be with you. 
trust your judgment. So Saul t- or Samuel tells Saul, all these things are going to happen, right? You're going to meet these people and this and all that and nothing. So what do you think happens? Everything Samuel said, right? So we're going to look at seeing the signs here, right? Look what it says in verse, starting in verse 16, or actually um, starting in verse 9, 9 through 16. It says this, as Saul turned and started to leave, God changed his heart. And all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw the prophets coming toward them. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. When his friends heard about it, they exclaimed, What, is Saul a prophet? How did the son of Kish become a prophet? But one of the neighbors responded, It doesn't matter who his father is. Anyone can become a prophet. So that is the origin of the saying, is Saul a prophet? When Saul had finished prophesying, he climbed the hill to the altar. Where in the, uh, where in the world have you been? Saul's uncle asked him. We went to look for the donkeys, Saul replied. But we couldn't find them. So we went to, oops, I forgot to flip the page, sorry. But we went Lost my spot. Look for the donkeys, Saul replied. But we couldn't find them, so we went to the prophet Samuel to ask him where they were. Oh, and what did he say, his uncle asked. He said the donkeys had been found, Saul replied. But Saul didn't tell his uncle that Samuel had anointed him to be king. God changed Saul's heart, it says. Everything Samuel told Saul would happen, happened. It was obvious to Saul's friends that something has changed. They, they even said, what, is Saul a prophet now? And, and, and you have to understand the vernacular of how they were saying it. It wasn't, oh my gosh, is Saul a prophet? You go, what, is Saul a prophet now? Seriously? Come on, the son of Kish, are you kidding? Saul's a prophet? It's kind of a sarcastic thing. And the, the response is, well, of course he's not a prophet. You know Saul, I know Saul. Saul's not a prophet, right? But see, this is cool because it's a moment of affirmation for Saul. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a moment of affirmation. Samuel tells him all these things are going to happen, and they happen. And then uh, he starts to prophesy, which really just comes from God, which is really, really cool. And, and uh, God has changed Saul's heart. So there's all these things happening where Saul is starting to understand that, okay, God is calling me to be king, and wow, I think this could be okay. Can you imagine that? I mean, Saul wasn't a special person at all before this, and Samuel, the prophet, the judge of Israel at the time, says, hey, guess what? God wants you to be king of Israel. Okay, overwhelming, first of all. Second of all, Israel's never had a king. Okay, I'm going to be king. I'm going to be the George Washington of Israel. Of course, he wouldn't know who George Washington was, but I'm going to be the first king of Israel. That's a little bit of pressure, don't you think? To, to be the man. But it says here that God is working on Saul. God has changed Saul's heart. God is doing things. And God's going to do a few more things for Saul. We'll see in a little bit. So then we come to the big day, election day. Woohoo! Starting in verse 17, it says this Later, Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah. And he gave them this message from the Lord, the God of Israel I brought you from Egypt. And I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have done so much for you, you have rejected me and said, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. 
So Samuel called the tribal leaders together before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was, Benjamin was chosen. Then he brought each family of the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of the Matrites was chosen. And finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. Now, let me pause here before I read the next part. Now, how did they choose? They did something called casting lots. And you hear this phrase used here and there in Scripture. Um, if uh, you've ever seen Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, where uh, they, they rolled the chance dice, same idea. You know, of course, they didn't have Qui-Gon Jinn doing this over the dice. But the idea was the dice would show them which way direction to go. So you had the 12 tribes of Israel and... Let's say, okay, let's bring them, and if, if, if we roll this, that means them. If we roll this, that means them. That's kind of how they did it at the time. Now, these were very special dice, and the high priest in all of his garments and everything, I know those of you who have been uh, in Dan's Sunday School class have talked a little bit about the, the chest plate that the high priest would wear. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Please nod your head. Thank you. Good. Um, that inside of that, there was a compartment that actually held the... I don't want to call them dice, but whatever they used to cast lots. It was actually inside. He'd just open it up and pull them out. So that's what they would use. So they did all this, and they narrowed it down to Saul. This great, awesome moment, right? It's going to be Saul. Okay, this is who God has chosen. Now look what it says. But what? But when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord said, he's hiding among the baggage. Okay, think about this for a second. You know, this makes my brain hurt a little bit. Here's God preparing Saul for all this, and now where is he? He's hiding among the baggage. This is not a good sign. So they find him, and they bring him out, and he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Isn't that great? Then Samuel said to all the people, he said this, This is the man the Lord has chosen. As your king, the guy who was hiding in the baggage. No one in all Israel is his equal. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Woohoo! And they're all excited. But it's an interesting passage we just read. It starts out by God reminding Israel of everything that he's done for them, right? I've conquered lands. I've brought you to the promised land. I did this. I helped you survive in the wilderness. I brought you manna from heaven. And I did all these things for you. And then you had problems with the Philistines. And I took care of that too. You turned back to me. And look at how great things are going. And now what? God says, you have rejected me. You want an earthly king instead. Israel said, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. Now, I know this is the path they're going, but once again, God through Samuel has reminded Israel that this is not the best thing, right? Okay, look at, I'm God, look at everything that I've done for you, and you're rejecting me now. Wouldn't that cause at least some people to pause and go, maybe we should think about this a little longer, if God, the Almighty God, the one true God, doesn't like this idea, maybe we shouldn't do it. Didn't even phase him, did it? Didn't even phase him. They went through the process of revealing who God had chosen. And when Saul was chosen, he was nowhere to be found and he was hiding. Why was he hiding? 
Maybe Saul heard what Samuel said about this whole king thing and went, oh, no, man, I'm not going to be the, I'm not going to be the scapegoat. Maybe he was nervous, first king. Maybe he was scared. I think he was. We really don't know for sure why, but I think it's kind of sarcastic that after they pull him out from the baggage, Samuel says, he's the greatest among all of you, the guy who was hiding. But when Saul comes out, he does look impressive. He's handsome. He's tall. Yeah, he's probably bald. You're right. He probably was bald. No, nah, he was young. I don't think he was bald. But, so he did have a shortcoming. Um, but the people would have loved him right away because he was handsome, because he was tall, which is what we always look for in a leader, right? Somebody who's handsome and tall. The point is, it doesn't matter what they look like, right? It matters what's going on on the inside, which is really cool because it says a few times that God has changed his heart. And the people say the classic line, long live the king, yes. Then look what it says in the next few verses. Then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of a king were. He wrote them down on a scroll and he placed it before the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people home again. When Saul returned to his home at Gibeah, a band of men whose hearts God had touched became his constant companions. But there were some wicked men who complained, how can this man save us? In other words, he's not fooling us with his tall stature and his good looks. And they despised him, and they refused to bring him gifts. But, it, but Saul ignored him. We see two opposing groups emerge here. Imagine that, opposing political parties. A group went with him to be his companions. In the NIV, it calls those guys valiant men. So God takes some guys who are really good guys, solid guys, advisors, people that could really be helpful to Saul, and he sends them with him, people who God's heart, God, whose hearts God had touched. But it was also a different group of people. These men complained they were wicked. One translation says they were troublemakers. And they didn't like Saul and they despised him. They didn't think Saul was a good choice. So they chose not to honor Saul with gifts because that would have been a typical thing is to honor the, the new king with gifts. But they think, no, this is the wrong choice. Saul is not the, wrong, is not the right choice. This is where I want to stop today in the story. And I want to pause and, and just call out the elephant in the room. This is all wrong, isn't it? Everything that has just taken place is all wrong. These individuals thought that Saul was the wrong choice. You know what? They were right. Saul was the wrong choice for king. Not because Saul was a bad person. Anybody would have been the wrong choice at this point. Anybody. The wrong choice was made by Israel when they decided that they wanted a king like all the other nations. That's where the wrong choice happened. Everything after that was going to be wrong. Everything after that was going to be wrong, right? Look what it says, and this is really interesting. I'm going to take you back to the book of Genesis. Chapter 49, and this is, a pro this is talking about where Israel's king will come from. And look what it says. The scepter will not depart from Judah, 
nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one to whom all nations will obey. They're saying that Israel's king will come from the tribe of Judah. Not only that, eventually the Messiah will come from that, success, from that bloodline of kings from the tribe of Judah. What tribe was Saul from? I don't know if you know this, but Benjamin and Judah, those are two different tribes. You can tell by the names, right? You see, even though Saul was the king that God gave to Israel, he was not the king who God ultimately planned for his people. You want a king? Fine, I'll give you a king. But this isn't my plan. This isn't how I want to do things. If they knew the scriptures at this point, they would have said, wait a minute. I mean, even if they ignored all the warnings that Samuel told them from God, if they were still obstinate and stubborn, they would have, if they knew the scriptures, they would have said, wait a minute. As soon as they chose the tribe of Benjamin, somebody should have stood up and said, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. This, this isn't right because the, the king of Israel is supposed to come out of the tribe of Judah. But nobody said anything. This is a quote from Tim Mackey. This is what it says. It says, this should bother us because Israel had a king already named Yahweh. He was trying to teach the Israelites how to become different from the other nations in order to become a blessing to those same nations. But the cultural pressures to have a leader like the Canaanites proved more powerful. Their hearts were not aligned to Yahweh, so he honored their request. You see, it was the wrong choice for king because God was already king over Israel. It was the wrong choice for king because it was somebody other than God. God was trying to create a kingdom and a people in Israel that was different than the world, that was set apart from the world. And Israel says, we want to be like everybody else. Friends, this scenario is doomed to fail. Spoiler alert. It will fail. Because in the eyes of Israel, God is not in charge anymore, is he? Saul is. Think about this for a second, friends. Israel was having problems with the Philistines. They were having problems, uh, war, and losing war to them. Who did they eventually turn to? They turned to God, right? Next week, if they have problems with the Philistines, who are they going to turn to? Well, they're going to turn to their king. Do you see what has changed? Israel ignored the warnings from God. And as a result, they drifted from what God had planned for them. And we're going to see in the coming chapters the turmoil, the challenges, and the difficulties that Israel faces because they have drifted and deviated from what God's plan is for them. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down these four words. How do we know? And put a question mark. How do we know? And what am I saying? How do we know when we have drifted from what God has planned for us? 
Now, we can look at this story in 1 Samuel and say, well, Israel's a bunch of idiots, lame brains, morons, take your pick. God warned them multiple times, this is not what I want for you. Yet Israel kept saying, yeah, but we want a king. Yeah, we, we know. Oh, God, you're so nice and appreciate the warnings, but we got this. We'll take it from here. How do we know when we've drifted from what God has planned for us? That's a big question, isn't it, friends? Because I don't know about you, but I always want to be in the center of God's will, and I don't want to be a person who drifts from what God has planned for me. How do we know? How do we know when it's the right choice and the wrong choice? Well, I think there's three things that we can take away from this. And first of all, realize this. There's no easy way to know God's will all the time. Sometimes it's really obvious, like it was for Israel there. It was pretty stinking obvious. But it's not always really obvious for us. I remember I heard a talk one guy, one time, of a guy who was trying to determine what God wanted him to do, and he started eating alphabet cereal every day, hoping that God would spell it out in the spoon for him what he was supposed to do. And he'd look at it, it didn't work. One of the places that we can always go is God's Word. God's Word will give us great direction. There are many things in life that we will understand what God calls us to do and what God calls us not to do. Micah 6.8 is a great scripture verse. He has shown you, man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Great passage. There's tons of passages that will guide and direct us as to how, our, how we live our lives. But sometimes there, Scripture isn't clear on certain things. Which car should I buy? Well, Scripture doesn't, you know, I mean, it does say that the disciples were all in one accord. But I'm not sure if that relates directly, that we should all drive Hondas. But the idea is, is that sometimes it's not exactly clear in Scripture. But the cool thing is sometimes that God gives us warning signs. Now, it's not, we don't always have the luxury of having a prophet like Samuel around us saying, you know, hey, this is what we should do. I remember when God was calling me to ministry, and I wasn't sure what the path was for me as far as how to, how to, do, how to prepare for ministry. Should I go away to seminary? or Bible college, because I was married already, and I already had a little girl, and I'm like, okay, how is this all going to work? And I wasn't sure what to do. And I asked some different people to pray for me and say, you know, pray that God would give me clear direction. And amazingly, over a three-week span, three different people, two of which I had never met before, approached me and all told me the same thing. They said there's a great program in the Christian Missionary Alliance called um, the MSP program, Ministerial Studies for the Pastorate. That is a great program. You can take it via extension. You can still work, help provide for your family. I'd never heard of this before, and three different people tell me about it in a couple weeks span. I'm going, oh, 
I, I, okay, I get it. I get it, God. And that's how I pursued ministry. And that's how I pursued my education for the pastorate. God will give us signs. But sometimes you just have to take a step forward for what God is going to do. And the thing is, is that when you take those steps, you have to have faith that God is going to nudge you back in the right direction if you go the wrong direction. I think that when we don't listen to or don't pay attention to obvious things, God doesn't nudge us back. God brings out the two by four and he knocks us back. At least that's been my experience in life. But if we continue to seek God with a sincere heart and say, God, what would you have for me? And if we drift one way or another, maybe sometimes not knowing, maybe sometimes because it is sin or maybe it's just because we're human and we're not God and we're not perfect and we're going to make mistakes, God's really cool about nudging us back. We have to have faith and we have to trust God. We have to seek God, we have to trust God, and we have to listen to God. And that is the best way that we can know God's will for us. It's not a perfect formula, I know. But that's why they call it faith. That's why they call it faith. Some people want to use the Bible as a reference manual, like they would an encyclopedia. I mean, if you want to learn more about Tanzania, you just look up Tanzania in the encyclopedia, right? And it tells you about it. But the Bible doesn't work that way. People will say, well, what does God say about this? Well, there's, it's not a reference manual. God's word is, is living and active in our lives. And as we read God's word, we gain in our understanding of who God is and what it means to know him and what it means to trust him. If we seek him by faith, he will guide and direct us. But here's the cool thing when we think about this, about this idea of having faith that God will kind of guide us back. I want to leave you with this idea. In the midst of Israel's stupidity, we still see God's grace, don't we? God says, fine, give him a king. But then what? Even though this wasn't what God wanted for Israel, he changed Saul's heart. He made him into a different person, Scripture tells us, equipping him to do the job. God changed Saul so that Saul would have what he needed to do the job of king of Israel. Not only that, God surrounded him with good men. It said that God touched the hearts of these valiant men, as the NIV says, and they followed Saul, and they hung with Saul, and they worked with Saul. So even in the midst of, this, of God saying, you know what, you're rejecting me here. This is not what I want for you, but I'm going to let you have it anyhow. And God is doing all these things to help set up Saul for success. But there's one huge problem, which we'll find out in the coming chapters, that no matter how much God sets up Saul for success, Saul's got one problem as far as being king over Israel. He's not God. Can you imagine that? They have rejected the perfect king for an imperfect king. How do we know? How do we know if we've made the wrong choice? How do we know if we have drifted away from what God has planned for us? Friends, it requires faith. And it requires seeking him 
and it requires studying and knowing His Word. That's why prayer, that's why spending time in His Word, those things are so, so valuable for God to direct us. As I prepared this, this message, uh, all I could keep thinking about was, God, guide me. God, direct me. God, help me never to drift from what your will is. And that's my prayer for each of us. And I'm sure that that is the prayer of the hearts of, of many of you here. Lord, give me direction always. We follow him by faith because he is the perfect king. He is the perfect Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray this for myself and for my brothers and sisters here today. I pray that you would teach us what it means to trust you. Help guide us. Help direct us on our paths that we do not stray from you. So that we may follow you. That we may seek you with all that we are. Give us great direction and nudge us back when we drift away. Help us never to ignore the obvious signs from you, Lord. And help us to always seek you with all that we are. So as we go today, we go in your grace and we go trusting you to lead us. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct our path and may we boldly share the good news of Jesus Christ with all that we encounter. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed day.